Well, welcome to the Robin Walter Show. God bless you all today. Uh, before I forget, we had a good response to the first airing of The Lighter Side with Robin Walter. Kind of a lighthearted, not lighthearted, just a different uh, focus of topics that would be lighter. Not the heavies we cover on this program with regularity, uh, which uh, programs are designed for about seven to nine minutes. And uh, thank you, thank you, uh, everybody, for really for listening to it. All the response, um, people that listen, I appreciate it. Uh, my goal, I don't want to overpromise and underperform. We're hoping to do ultimately one a week. Right now, I'm shooting for two a month. So the next one, I think, should be next week. If you want to contact me, it's Robin Walt, not the, but Robin Walter Show at gmail.com. Robin Walter Show at gmail. Dot com. Well, we're going to take a look at something here today that, um, boy, you know what? I'm just going to get into it. By the time we get to the end, it'll be pretty obvious why this this program is so important. Because in essence, we have an administration, we have a president that is asking God to judge us, tempting God to judge us, daring God to punish the United States. And you will see why, unbelievably so, when we uh, towards the end of the program. But first, the uh, Davos was Switzerland meeting of all the mucky mucks of the world, all the who's who, and all those who who go there and clamor about climate change and global warming and all this, and then they each fly in their own private jet, consuming uh, gobs of fuel. No one taking commercial flights. What a bunch of hypocrites. We know that. But I thought this was really almost humorous because there is a driver, VIP driver, at Davos, Switzerland, who was uh, not willing to reveal his name for security purposes. But he did give an interview to a Japanese journalist by the name of Masako Ganaha. Or Ganaha, I'm not sure exactly how you pronounce that who was asking him about his car. Now, this points out the utter, utter hypocrisy of the left as reflected in the Davos meetings. Because his car was not an electric car. It had a gas car. Gas power, the ICE, as they call it, internal combustion engine. Because in Switzerland, all Uber-driven vehicles are 100% electric. They're pretty much all Teslas, actually. You cannot have a gas-powered Uber or basically a taxi in Switzerland. So the question that came up from the Japanese journalist was, well, wait a second, you're not driving an electric car. So what is it? Is it accidents? Is there no electricity? Or what is it? Well, the, re- the driver, who, again, I must say, was had to remain nameless here, 
said, quote, it's a very dangerous situation because if you have some problem, you're out of electricity or the weather or the snow, you're stuck because the electric vehicles just don't measure up. Okay, fair enough. We all know that. We've actually covered that to some degree. I want to live in a state that will always have gas-powered vehicles. But they did something there which points out the utter hypocrisy of all of this. And that is that why is this guy driving a gas-powered vehicle? Because of the VIPs for this heady little lofty event are demanding that their chauffeurs not use electric cars, only gas-powered cars. They want the car to be sure and start. They want to be sure that the car can actually heat them if it's cold or if it gets stuck in snow. It doesn't um, get one-half of the mileage, functionally equivalent mileage-wise, of a gas-powered vehicle. They don't like the idea that some of them catch on fire, the electric cars. And so he read something here that they announced at Davis. It said, quote, there will be no more CO2 limits in order to request a car. No more CO2 limits means everybody can request gas-operated vehicles so they're not stuck in the stupid EVs. Oh, you want to get a hybrid? Okay, fine. Maybe you got the best of both worlds. But these are the mucky mucks. Sort of like, uh, well, you know what? I don't want to spend much time on this because uh, Tucker Carlson covered it adequately the other night. I don't like to repeat what he says, but the whole deal about uh, Danone, which is the uh, French dairy giant, if you will, I think the largest milk producer in France that announced their plans to put masks and uh, diapers on cows to uh, control the flatulence emission and their burps all to try to reduce the methane emissions. You know, the methane emissions... The global warming, if we just didn't have Democrats, there would be a huge reduction in any alleged climate change or global warming. You know, I quoted this guy a few weeks ago, actually, uh, before he was on Tucker, but I was, uh, he remains nameless also. But the, the farmer who bought the uh, F, uh, Ford F-150 Lightning, their electric vehicle, after six months, he said the battery, the winter battery performance, winter battery was an absolute disaster. So you got all the uh, Southern California types uh, claiming that this is uh, the answer to everything, but they've never had to deal with anything other than their uh, climate, which offers no particular challenges, other than a whole heck of a lot of rain lately. Now, it's one thing to... Say that your state is going to continue to allow women to slaughter their innocent unborn children while in the womb or as they are giving birth. Sort of like Pharaoh ordered the Hebrew midwives. If, the, if, if when he comes out, it's a boy, kill him. If it's a girl, let him live. 
one of the first of many references in Scripture where people are to disobey the civil government. That's right. Obey God before you obey the civil law. But it's another thing to advertise it, and the pro-abortion, the pro-baby slaughter billboards from Gavin Greaseball Gruesome, the governor of California, not to be outdone by California, New York City's stepping up the game. They now plan to pilot a program that will allow the first 10,000 people who sign up to get free abortions. Now, this is in contrast to two states, Texas and Kentucky, two great states, at least so far, that since October, since the ruling took effect, Kentucky has had a grand total in what would be now, what, one, two, three, three and a half months, three abortions. Texas in that same time period, has had three abortions. Presumably, presumptively, medically necessary. In other words, we got to take the baby or you might die, Mama, or have some real serious problem. We all get that. That's never been attempted to be outlawed, that you couldn't abort a baby even if it meant you had to die. The left's totally perverted that. But Texas, which would adver- uh, average, yeah, uh, 2,900 and some abortions per month, was down to three for the last three months. So apparently those are where some of those 10,000 free abortion customers for New York City are going to come, or they're going to pack up their bags and get a possibly government-subsidized ticket to California to offer up their child to the gods of Molech. Ashtoreth. How about that? Well, we know that most politicians seem to be corrupt these days. Most of them really seem to be. Corrupt in the sense that they love covetousness. But now Adam Kinzinger, who is a fake Republican, he's a rhino of monumental size, is selling copies of the January 6th report for 100 bucks that he signs. He signs them. You pay him a hundred bucks, a hundred bucks. Congressmen who get how many tens of thousands of dollars are out peddling somebody else's work. Isn't this plagiarism? Isn't this using your office for personal and private gain, which is prohibited by the constitution? Shouldn't Kinzinger be in jail? Should be. What a scumbag. Well, go woke. That seems to be the word today among corporations and, of course, the government education system. Loosely so-called. The government indoctrination system is what it is. But the state of Minnesota has taken this to a new high, wanting, it seems like these left-wing states, New York, California, Illinois, Minnesota, Washington, Oregon, Hawaii. We don't hear much about Hawaii. They're too busy just enjoying the weather to pay attention to this stuff. Maybe they all seem to be trying to outleft the next one. 
Who can be the most screwed up, the most hell-bent on hell? And Minnesota is up their game. So the government board in the state of Minnesota, which is the Professional Educator Licensing and Standards Board, which, uh, according here to WND and Bob Unruh, is a great reporter. Thank you, Bob. I quote you often. That they've already moved, removed Mount Rushmore and four presidents from their social studies standards books. And also gone in references to, interestingly, Susan B. Anthony, Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King Jr., JFK, and Ronald Reagan. They've gone to the next level now, claiming that teachers' licenses in the state will depend, according to Mr. Unruh here, on their willingness and ability to indoctrinate students into leftist ideologies. So this is what the government report says, and I'm going to just quote. I don't have to quote Mr. Unruh here. I'll just quote the standards. Quote, The revised teacher licensing rules strike the following from the mathematics standards. Okay. Now, I have to repeat that introduction here so you, you don't miss any of this of what we're talking about. The revised teaching licensing rules strike, eliminate the following from the mathematics standard for teaching in Minnesota. This is what's getting eliminated from the base, from the standards by which the math programs are evaluated. Quote, addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. Whole numbers, fractions, decimals, and percentages. End quote. In other words, the new rules for the math standards strikes math. I mean, this is the basis. So you don't say, well, it didn't strike algebra, it didn't strike trigonometry or calculus. Well, forget it. You can't get to those things before you can handle addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, whole numbers, fractions, decimals, and percentages. So the new standard for math is there is no standard. And, in fact, there is no math that will be required. What a pack of nimrods will be produced in Minnesota, not to their own fault, not to their blame, but they're going to be dumbskulls. Don't rhyme with numbskulls. Totally ill-prepared as the United States simply becomes dumber and dumber and dumber. But, if you're going to strike all that, you've got to have something to replace it, right? So what's going to fill in the gap when you get rid of addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, whole numbers, fractions, decimals, and percentages? Quote, the teacher will need to foster an environment. This is a replacement that ensures that student identities such as race, ethnicity, national origin, language, sex and gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, physical and developmental, emotional ability, socioeconomic class, and religious beliefs that are historically and socially contextualized, affirmed, 
and incorporated into a learning environment where students are empowered to learn and contribute as their whole selves, end quote. Now, I'm not going to read this, reread this whole pile of crap coming out of the state of Massachusetts, or same thing, Minnesota, Massachusetts is another one of those states. So if, if this, well, maybe I need to. So let's suppose a student says, a teacher, what are we going to learn instead of uh, the, these, this math uh, addition and subtraction? Well, I'm going to, you'd, I'm going to foster an environment that ensures that your identity, such as race, ethnicity, national origin, language, sex, and gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, physical, developmental, emotional ability, socioeconomic class, and religious beliefs are historically and socially contextualized, affirmed, and incorporated into a learning environment where students are empowered to learn and to contribute as their whole selves. Did you get that, 8-year-old student, 9-year-old student? You might say, well, it's not going to go to the eight and nine years. Well, who's, who is it that's being taught addition and subtraction? Eight and nine-year-olds and multiplication and division, 10-year-olds. Fractions, decimals, and percentages, maybe 11 and 12. They're supposed to understand the very description of what it is that's going to replace their fundamental schools. I will tell you, the entire state of Minnesota needs to be sued. Millions of dollars. Billions of dollars sue them. For educational incompetence, educational malpractice, intentional abuse, and destruction of a child's learning skills. They are empowered to do what? Complain, complain about race and gender microaggressions and tranny this and tranny that? So apparently it no longer suffices to discuss the controversies of radical reform. The teachers and the students now have to become advocates for change. So they obviously the effort to turn students into lefties for years, which has been known but somewhat concealed, is now out in the open in Minnesota and other states near you. Going on, the instruction says, quote, the teacher creates opportunities for students to learn about power and privilege and intersectionality. We'll explain that to a 10-year-old. And systemic oppression in the context of various communities and empowers learners to be agents of social change to promote equity. What is equity? Equity is nothing but reverse discrimination. That's all it is. And I'll tell you what. I got a task for everybody listening here. The next time you run into a leftist or anybody who's talking about equity, other than a, a lending officer, a bank officer, or a real estate agent, because we all know equity is the value of your home or something minus the debt, right? No, this is supposedly about righting wrongs. Reverse discrimination, supposedly, but it's still discrimination. That's what it's about. To become agents of social change and to promote this is now the goal of the teachers. It's out. If you have your children in a government school, you become ultimately 
as guilty or more guilty than the teacher. They don't have a God-ordained job of raising your children. You do. So the report also confirms that the licensing board, quote, (laughs) oh, you know what? I got to quit. You get the idea, don't you? Well, is there hope for us? Actually, there is not, as long as there are government schools to which you're obligated to go and you're trapped, caged lab caged rats, lab rats, little seven, eight, nine, ten, three, four, five year old experiments, social experiments. We are where we are because of the crappy government education. And there's no hope for this country unless it changes and it must change fast. And more proof of this crapola? Let's jump to the other end of the spectrum. Let's go to a medical schools. Now you have Texas A&M University, School of Medicine, recently removed photos of white male alumni. They removed white men who are graduates of the school in an effort to boost they say to boost inclusivity. But it's only trying to boost the appearance of inclusivity. So the left, it has these perverse plans for the future. But in doing so, they seem to be also focused on rewriting the past. Yep, here's a cross-section of the graduates of Texas A&M School of Medicine. And there's hardly a white guy in the whole lineup. So let's rewrite the history, in essence, because it's very deceiving. Talk about misinformation and disinformation from TAMU, Texas A&M University. But isn't that what part of this is about, rewriting history? Isn't that why we got critical race theory? Why is that why we've got the crappy 1619 project and the removing of all the standards that I just read about in Minnesota and getting rid of historical references? It says here that the Tamu School of Medicine removed the photos to modify its branding and communication to foster a more inclusive environment. It also said that it practices holistic admissions, which judges applicants on factors other than test scores and requires search committees to undergo diversity, equity, and inclusivity training. End quote. So the bottom line here is that I'm going to use this as an opportunity the next time I see a doctor that I do not know. So I'm going to ask him, by any chance, are you a graduate of Texas A&M Medical School? And if he says yes, I say, how recently? Well, I'm sorry, I don't want to use you. Because it's very clear that in an effort to apparently go woke and include everybody in the admissions process, whether they can really cut it or not, TAMU is dedicated to reducing significantly the quality 
of its doctors because the admissions are not going to the most qualified people. So how can you get the most qualified graduates? You don't have the most qualified graduates. You don't have the most qualified doctors. Why would you want a, why do, why would you want a degree from the School of Crappy Medicine? Sheesh. Well, okay. We're getting closer to the topic of the day. But before I do, I want to just cover one quick thing Joe Biden is doing in the state of Texas. His administration simply is so pro-queer, pro-tranny, so LGBTQRSTUVWXYZ, so intent on destroying the lives and the bodies of little children post-birth as well as everybody in the womb that wants to destroy the child, that they've launched a probe into a school district in Texas that had the audacity, the guts, to yank 130 LGBTQRSTUVWXYZ books from their library. And what have they said? The people who opposed removing the books have contended that the removal of the books creates a pervasively hostile atmosphere for the queer community. Now, I know they think that they're really anointed, the left, that they're really... But let me ask you, when there is no action against that queer community... Nobody is teaching that sodomy is an abomination to God. Nobody is teaching that the body parts don't fit. Nobody is teaching that and saying that that the mutilation, genital mutilation of young girls and boys is horrific. They're just not letting the queer community advertise and indoctrinate. So is that a pervasively hostile atmosphere when you are not proactively proactively denouncing the behavior that identifies that community? The books that were removed were, without question, sexually explicit and pornographic. But queers don't get pornographic because that's what they do. That is what they do. So to them, pornography is a non-existent word because it's their defining characteristic. It's your defining lifestyle. So, anyway, Joe Biden's administration is looking into it and coming after them to see what Texas is doing wrong. You know, as if you've listened to this program for any length of time, you will note that I herald certain states to be superior to other states. And Texas is one of them. If I had to leave Arizona, and Arizona is the best in the Southwest, not the best in the country, but definitely the best in the Southwest. The leaders of the West, actually that's a line from the University of Michigan's fight song, but lest I digress, let me simply say the reason I point out these states is so that in the process of time, when some place is no longer suitable to your life, 
when you can no longer fight against the powers that be. And then you decide maybe like Joseph and Mary, like the Apostle Paul, like Jesus, it's time to flee. Then you will know and have an idea. Gosh, you know, um, on the Robin Walter show, he's always talking about these states like Oklahoma and Tennessee and Kentucky and Texas and, um, and all the things that they're doing good or attempting to do. Maybe we should look one of them up. And I have a little more exciting idea than that, if I can fit it in at the end of the program. But we're going to shift topics here now to the question of the day, and that is, is Joe Biden seeking the destruction of the United States? Does he want the United States destroyed? I don't think he's smart enough to form that. I don't know if he's got any brains, and if he has them, it would take a rectal exam to locate them. But does he want this country destroyed? Or is he so ignorantly pursuing policies that would guarantee it? Well, you know what? I don't know that I have to decide that, and you have you don't have to figure it out. But we are going to figure it out right after the break when you come back. Do not miss this. This is Robin Walder and the Robin Walder Show. We will be right back. The Robin Walter Show is a listener-supported program. Your contribution goes to help as many people as possible to hear that the Word of God has answers to help you survive and even thrive in the dark days ahead in this country. We pledge to bring you the critical information you need to make informed decisions in this age where big tech and big media have conspired to rid our country of everything Christian. Please send your support to... Red Sky Radio, P.O. Box 99, Wickenburg, Arizona, 85358. That's Red Sky Radio, P.O. Box 99, Wickenburg, Arizona, 85358. Thank you. Well, I think my dog's a Democrat. And it breaks my heart to have to say an ugly thing like that. But there's a big old pile of evidence that all points towards the fact my dog might be. We are back. This is the Robin Walters Show. Okay, the uh, topic for the day is going to consume the rest of our time. Is Joe Biden purposely or unintentionally seeking the destruction of the United States because his activities are doing exactly that? And you might say, well, what am I talking about now? I'm not talking about the queer agenda. I'm not talking about the abortion. I'm not talking about all that stuff. Is this worse? As bad as that is, it's worse. And I have said on numerous programs, but I haven't said it for some time, that when a country goes south, much like when denominations go south, like the Presbyterian Church USA, the Episcopal Church, 
ones have just gone down a rat hole, that they will start with the introduction of distinctly unbiblical precepts, such as abortions and queer rights and queer marriage and now tranny this and tranny that. And they'll lose members, and God may judge them, may not. But it variably, when a denomination goes in that direction, it ends up always in the same old hellhole as is being apparently pursued by this administration. And that is the turning of that church, that denomination, but in this case, the administration, and this country against Israel. That is now the point of unforgivable. There's all kinds of countries that don't take positions for or against Israel. It's a non-issue. They're ignorant. But when you touch God's anointed, and you know better, Katie bar the door. So why do I bring this up now? Well, because of a uh, story published here that the Biden administration, which has always, always from day one, supported the Palestinians more than Israel in the Middle East, have said that they are adamantly opposed to allowing Jews to pray on Jerusalem's Temple Mount. Now catch this. That's in Israel. It's part of Israel. So you're telling Jews that the most sacred site inside Israel that the Jews can't pray. The Biden official here says that the U.S. policy is to support, hang on to these words, the historic status quo, using his words, that will only allow Muslims to pray there. So the only ones that can pray at the, at the holiest site in the state of Israel, the homeland of the Jews, the only ones that can pray there are the ones, many of whom, who seek the destruction of Israel. This is how wicked, anti-God and evil, you would have to be to concoct this policy perspective. But I want to delve into this a little bit because let's take this phrase. We are not going to disturb or change the historic status quo, which only allows Muslims to pray, the historic status quo. So let me understand here. Now, so the, the, the Biden administration is pursuing a policy that says we are going to elevate the historic status quo against what's right or just. Joey Baby and all the left-wing libtards you got working for you. Do you know that the historic status quo was slavery at one of the time, once upon a time? The historic status quo or the Jim Crow laws. The historic status quo was separate but equal that allowed racial division inside public schools based solely on, on race.
So, uh, Joey, you're going to maintain the historic status quo that would have, um, some time back, not allowed women to vote because it would have upset the historic status quo. Do you see the hypocrisy here? You're not going to let the Jews, you're not going to support a policy that allow the Jews to pray at the, the holiest site in their own country. Now, this is a party that's always talking equity, always equity, 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 even though they don't know crap of what they're really talking about. And they don't have to, what, by the use of that word anyway, and they don't have the guts to say what the word really means in that partic their particular context. But in the very best of situations, it would mean writing, making right historic wrongs. So isn't that what happened when we got rid of slavery? When Jim Crow laws were outlawed? When the historic status quo went down in flames? Slaves were set free. The Jim Crow laws were abolished. Women were allowed to vote. We were righting historic wrongs. That is not the biblical perspective or, frankly, even a common-sense perspective of a person, a state, a business, or a national government. To follow a, a historic status quo that's rooted in something that's wrong. So I'm, it's lest you think I'm making this up, here's the Biden spokesman. Quote, the United States stands firmly for preservation of the historic status quo with respect to the holy sites in Jerusalem. Any unilateral action that departs from the historic status quo is unacceptable. So, I think the question that is now begged is, what do we do when the historic status quo is absolutely wrong? And how does it relate to the, ba the biblical admonition here? And that is to follow God's Word. So what I'm going to do here is I'd like to just turn to some biblical passages to make some points that this administration obviously overlooks, but the reason I'm pointing it out, whether they overlook them or they know them and they ignore them, whether this is a fist in the face of God, points to what would be, in my opinion, the assured destruction, albeit maybe in an incremental fashion, maybe in a quick and swift action, of the United States under the present leadership, loosely so-called. Zechariah 2, verse 8, says that he who touches Israel touches the apple of my eye. So God is saying, look, don't, don't mess around with my country. We are blessed by blessing Israel. Now, it doesn't mean that we condone everything Israel does. Israel got totally screwed up on the... COVID vaccine, and now is kind of quietly acknowledging it was screwed up. They're screwed up on abortion. They've got trainees in their military. There is a hardcore religious 
component in Israeli society, but the Mosaic law is not carried out in many respects. The disciplining of Israel is not up to us. Our job is to bless, and we'll be blessed. The job of disciplining Israel is up to God. Also says, touch not God's anointed. Wow. So, the point here is that when we begin to mess with Israel, and i got to give you three more verses that are of particular import here. Because one will go back to a passage in Genesis, which many have said, well, this only applies to Abraham. It doesn't apply to anybody else. It only applies to Abraham, which is Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, which says, and I might as well just read it, so uh, instead of trying to ad-lib it here, it says, Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show you, and I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. I have heard so many preachers basically say, in essence, that this was something that was limited only to Abraham. It does not come down to the present day. But there's a fundamental flaw in that because that's not what Scripture says. Because if you go to Genesis 27, verse 29, it says... Everyone that curseth thee, I will curse. And blessed be he that you bless. So this wasn't to Abraham anymore. Now this is to Isaac. And then God goes on to say the very same thing yet again to the next patriarch, to Jacob. And it says in Numbers 24, verse 9, Get a chance to write that down. Numbers 24, verse 9. And God is speaking in Balaam. This is way much, much later. It said, Blessed is he that blesses Israel, and cursed is it he that curseth thee. This isn't even to Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. This is down to Balaam. This is way down the line. Nothing has ever, ever changed this admonition that if we bless them, we will be blessed. And if we curse them, we will be cursed. Now, the reason, well, there's actually really two reasons that, that pop up in my mind that this is so critical. The first one just simply says that we'll be cursed. And I don't know that it does it require that the party who is doing the cursing, either the individual or the nation, know that they are basically cursing God's anointed, the apple of his eye? 
I don't know, but I can tell you this much. This country knows enough that it would be held accountable by that standard. It does know the history of our support for the nation of Israel. There's enough in our history that points to the fact that we are not here to curse the Jews. We are here to bless the Jews. And that any departure from that policy, from that cultural norm, could be nothing less than an intentional departure from God's will and God's word. I don't see how it could be anything else. So we're going to be, be cursed. But it doesn't actually stop there. If, if you take a look at, let me see the passage I want to get here. Exodus 23. Now, i got to find this one. I'm going to give you time to find it because I need time to find it. Exodus 23, verse 22. If you listen to the import of this passage, it says, But if thou shalt indeed obey his voice, meaning God's voice, and do that all that I shall speak, this is Moses here, I will be an enemy unto thine enemies and an adversary unto thine adversaries. In other words, if we follow God's word and we're blessing Israel, not cursing them, then God becomes an enemy of our enemies. He's an adversary of our adversaries. Bottom line, put in my own street language, God is on our side if we follow his word and obey his word. And so my second point here is that Joe Biden's virtual blasphemy of stating that this country as opposed to Donald Trump, which made Jerusalem the capital and moved the ambassador. I mean, all the good things Trump did for Israel. Trump did two particularly great things. He blessed Israel and had great Supreme Court justices. He appointed. But if Biden, in doing this, is inviting God's cursing, but also has set up a policy where our adversaries are no longer God's adversaries. Our enemies are not God's enemies. In other words, our enemies may be used to do what? The converse of that passage is that God will use our enemies and our adversaries to judge us. They remain our enemies, our adversaries. They're not his enemies anymore. They're not his adversaries anymore. He'll allow them or ordain them to do what's necessary to spank the crap out of us. And so my point is this. My second point is this. This policy uh, imposed, uh, superimposed upon all the other anti-Israeli policies coming from Joe Biden's administration is now a national security threat. Joe Biden is a national security risk 
by invoking a passage of Scripture that would cause our enemies and our adversaries to no longer be God's enemies and God's adversaries. Isn't that something? That by his action or inaction, whatever you want to call it, he, he's our biggest national security threat? I mean, our biggest national security threat is our own president? And how many people would even know this? I am going to chastise a few people listening to this broadcast. If you say, yeah, I've read the Bible, when did you read it? That's my question. Well, I went through the whole thing 22 years ago. Worthless. You've forgotten most of it. Maybe if you got a preacher who's just teaching out of the red letter edition, you'll be destroyed by your own ignorance. You will be. I could not encourage you more for this year's resolution to be that you will systematically get through all of God's Word, Genesis to Revelation. Because you know what? Everything I have quoted today that impacts national security, that impacts the blessing upon this country, everything is from the Old Testament, none of which that I have quoted here has been eliminated. None of it. I mean, Ron Hess, who wrote the book Let My People Go, says that there are over 700 verses in Scripture dealing with a perpetual existence of the nation of Israel. Next week I'll go through all 700. No, I won't. I'll only go through 64. No, I won't do that either. You get the point. Our obligation is to, to bless. It's not dependent upon Israel's obedience. Israel's blessing is dependent upon Israel's obedience to God. Psalm 122.6 says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you, O Jerusalem. So catch this. Those who pray for the peace of Jerusalem will prosper. Those who don't pray for the peace of Jerusalem won't prosper. And how can we say that we're praying for the peace of Jerusalem when we as a country do not allow all the Hebrews, the Jews, to go to the Temple Mount for them to be able to pray for Jerusalem? How can we pray, be praying successfully and be prospered in a prayer for Jerusalem when we ourselves, as a country, are prohibiting that prayer at the Temple Mount? All of this to point out, ultimately, the critical importance of knowing God's Word. You know, I'm just going to finish with this little anecdotal piece. I was at a Bible study. haven't been into a men's Bible study in some time, so I went to one that was about 35 miles away. Good bunch of men. There happened to be 12 of us there. Where two or more are gathered, there is Jesus in the midst of us. Well, there's 12 of us there. I'd like to think we're all his disciples. But it did come to a point in the course of that meeting that there was some criticism of Joe Biden, and the answer was from these individuals, we just we need to pray for those in authority. Pray for those in authority. 
I don't deny that. That's point one. But you know what? God knows if somebody in authority is going to get saved or not saved. And our knowing, or I'm, I'm sorry, our not knowing whether they're going to get saved and accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, not our not knowing doesn't alter our obligation. And it wouldn't be altered even with God knowing, if you can follow this, that they won't accept him. Doesn't change our obligation to pray. However, I raised the issue in this group, and I hardly said anything. I was a guest, but I could not hold it back any longer. I said, I like that prayer, but it's only the beginning. It's not the end. And because everybody agreed that that was a solution, now I'm seen in my usual role as a rabble rouser. I don't know why it is, but I end up for my whole life being involved in these board meetings at churches and things where, frankly, I have to dispute the pastor's interpretation of Scripture or actions, and this was no no difference. I said, that's part of the prayer. But we don't know whether that man's going to be saved or not, but God does. And if God, knowing that man won't be saved, why wouldn't we also add 2 Thessalonians 3.2, which I might add is also a command. And what does it say? Pray. Another command, right? Pray. Add this to the other prayer. It's part of our prayer obligation. That you'd be delivered from wicked and unreasonable men. Open some eyes, I think. Others were a bit bothered. Pray. If God knows that this, that Joe Biden and all the others, whatever, are not going to get saved, then God, I ask that you remove them. Lightning strike, plane crash, whatever. I'm not encouraging somebody to rise up and kill the president that's against the law. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm asking God to remove them. If the result is that that not being removed is going to cause a curse to fall even greater upon this country, more so than from all the abortion to all the aberrant sex and the legitimization of everything that God calls an abomination, on top of that, we touch God's anointed and, and do not even support their right to pray for their own country, for their own city at their own Temple Mount. So people say, is there hope for the U.S.? My answer is no, not as it stands. Not with government schools where you have no choice. The left is always pro-choice, but, you know, you don't get any choice for what schools your kids go to. The kid in the womb doesn't get any choice. But we do have a choice to pray. We do have a choice to pray right. And we do have the right to cho- to pray based upon God's word. But we can't pray God's word if we don't know it. Now, there's some practical solutions, which maybe they're short-term. They're not long-term. Maybe we can get into next week. I don't know. I'll have to see what the what the news brings and what the Holy Spirit moves me to say. And that is... Uh, should we leave? Should states break away? Should there be secession? I think civil war is inevitable. And a new, a new thing that's popped on my, up on my plate, and that is the issue of whether or not there should be or we should pursue 
dual citizenship? Should we fight here, but also have a place to which we should fight? Think about it. Maybe we'll get to it next week. Rob Walder. Robin Walder. Sit tall in the saddle. Remember, you ride for the brand, the brand of Jesus Christ. We'll see you next week.